stuff. We just need to know you're coming. I think there's a card in your worship guide. You can pick one up out on the, um, the welcome desk also if you need one. But this is how you become a member here. If you're not ready to become a member, but you want to know what that means, um, you want to know what that looks like, you need to go out there and get signed up for that also. So just fill that out. Drop it in a box or drop it in the offering plate. Um, when it comes by, and we would love to have you with us, okay? We're in our Love Does series, so we'll kind of be in some different verses and passages of Scripture. Um, today, we're going to be in 1 John, uh, in the book of 1 John. So if you want to turn there, we'll have it on the screen for you. If you don't have a, a passage with you or a Scripture with you, there's Bibles in the backs of the chairs. Uh, but we'll be in 1 John, um, and uh, looking more at what... Uh, uh, what the Bible says about love and what love really means and that love isn't a feeling it's what we do um, So that's what we'll be so uh, In first John we'll be talking about God's love for us and I think I think even for John He was contrasting God's love and Christian love with uh, the love that we might have in the world or we might naturally gravitate toward um, And so even then he was trying to help them understand uh, clearly what it means that God loves us and that we're supposed to love other people. And we'll be looking at much the same thing. I think our world is different than what John lived in. Um, uh, I, I think one of the things that it sets us apart right now where we are in culture um, is that we live in an, an era, a time of radical self-realization. Um, anything that used to tie us together whether that be tribally, culturally, religiously, has been stripped away from us. We've been told that those things are actually bad things, um, and we need to find out who we are, minus um, divorced from anything that would tie us to the past. We live in an area of self, radical self-realization. It's called expressive individualism. This is what we've come to understand. This is the world that we live in. Um, I would sort of say this, if, if my generation, if we were brought up to be consumers, which we totally were, we were raised to be very good buyers of stuff, um, we're great consumers, um, this generation, I'm going to say 30 and below, it's hardwired into you from the time you're young in the West, you are an expressive individualist, okay? And I'll talk a little bit about what that means. This didn't just pop up out of nowhere. Um, believe it or not, I, I personally believe if you go back and look at some of Walt Whitman's writings, which has been 150 years ago, you're gonna see some of this stuff start to creep out in those times. And then over time, it's just kind of taken over, become, I think, the, uh, the major ethic uh, and value of the culture we live in now. So what does that mean? Expressive individualism. It, it means that the purpose of life is to find one's deepest self and then to express that to the world, no matter what family, personal culture, religion, or any authorities might say to you. The highest value in our world right now, and especially for, again, the generation that's probably 30, 35 and younger, is this, that the purpose of life is to find yourself, to discover your deepest self, and then to express that to the world, no matter what family, personal culture, religion, or any authorities may say. And you're like, well, prove that, Sanders. All right, did anybody see Frozen? Let it go. Read the words. Read the words. That's the whole point. Anybody see Greatest Showman? This is me. Read the words. That's, that's what those songs are about, and that's why they, as anthems, they are sort of anthemic 
of our culture's values. That's one reason why they've echoed so well in culture, right? A little kids music, movie and a musical, and then a, 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 like a, basically a Broadway musical that was made into a movie, which we would normally just totally reject. They've become the anthems of our culture. They reflect this idea that no matter what, the greatest thing I can do is find out who I am and express that no matter what culture says about that, no matter what religion says about that, no matter what my family says about that. Radical, radical self-realization, expressive individualism. It means that the, this is from a book, uh, this part from Mark Sayers called Disappearing Church, which is excellent. Um, he says this, he says, that means in this culture that the highest good is self-expression and that involves individual freedom, happiness, and self-definition. Secondly, traditions, religions receive wisdom, regulations, social ties that restrict individual freedom, happiness, and self-definition and self-expression must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. Third, the primary social ethic is tolerance of everyone's self-defined quest for individual freedom and self-expression. And any deviation from this ethic of tolerance is dangerous and must not be allowed. Expressive individualism, radical, radical self-realization. That is the highest value in our culture right now. And in the middle of that, we're going to read this passage today, and we're talking about this idea that love does. God is going to come to us and say, hey, the best way for you to realize who you are is to give yourself away, to submit yourselves to others, to put restrictions on your behavior so that you can serve other people well. It, is, it flies radically in the face of what our culture tells us you're supposed to be doing with your lives. So we're going to see this today. We're gonna, you should see this clash uh, of cultures today as we look at this text, as we talk about what love is and about what love does. It is one of those places where Christianity just runs headlong into culture's values. Um, no matter how Christian or unchristian a culture may be, sooner or later it's going to run head, headlong into Christianity. Okay? And this is one of those places where our prominent culture just goes in this head-to-head head collision with Christianity. I would say this, though, that Christianity offers something better, not just different. It's not that Christianity's different, it's that Christianity's better. That God's ways are best. That when God says, this is how you know who you are, by loving others and sacrificing yourself and laying your life down, that's the best way to find out who you really are. It's the best way to fully realize who God has made you to be. Does that make sense to everybody? If it's not, we're just trading one good idea for another good idea. The great exchange in Christianity is that we trade a good idea for the very best thing that we could possibly ever have and the very best way of life that we could probably ever best realize. So we, we trade this in for something not just different but better. And, and so today we're going to talk about what love is. We're going to hear more about what the Scripture says love actually is. How do we love ourselves or what does that look like, a healthy self-love? so that we don't get trapped into what culture says we're supposed to be doing? And then how do we effectively, uh, passionately, sincerely, with godly hearts, love other people? So we're going to look at those things today. So 1 John chapter 3, we'll be in chapter 3 and chapter 4 for the most part today. 1 John chapter 3, it says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it didn't know him. See, John points out immediately, the world doesn't understand us because God's bestowed his love on us. And as we live like he lives, they don't get it. Culture clash. He, he points that out right there. Beloved, now we are the children of God. So I just want to talk about this first, man. This, 
I got, I got, like last night, Mindy was doing something and, and we had eaten dinner and all that and it's kind of later and I'm just going over my stuff for today and I'm at the table. I always have my headphones on or let music up really loud. It just helps me focus a little bit. And I got my headphones on and I'm playing the playlist for today. He is worthy is on. And I'm reading this text and my other set of notes, I, I threw them away because they, te- they were tears and I'm not being like a weenie right now. I'm just telling you. Last night at my dinner table, I'm reading this text and I'm listening, is he, is he worthy? And the absolutely, yes, he's worthy. How great the Father's love toward us. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this that the Father, lav- the NIV says he's lavished his love on us. What kind of love is this? This first phrase is really incredible. What kind of love is this? And effectively, that word what means like, when Paul asks that question, or John asks that question, he's using that word what, it's almost like what other place What other dimension, what other universe could this kind of love possibly come from? What kind of love is this? I don't like reading Puritans. Does anybody like reading Puritans? I'll read them because they got some good stuff, but my gosh, it's painful. Uh, Somebody needs to translate them into modern English, okay? The whole, the V's and the Dow's and the the TH's everywhere, it's hard to, you know, plow your way through. I want to read a little quick quote from a guy named uh, John Baxter. He says this, He says, is it a small thing in your eyes to be loved by God? To be the son, the spouse, the beloved, the delight of the king of glory? Christian, believe this and think about it. You will be eternally embraced in the arms of the love which was from everlasting and will extend to everlasting. Of the love which brought the son of God's love from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, and from the grave to glory. The love which was weary and hungry and tempted and scorned and scourged and beaten and sped upon and crucified and pierced. Love which fasted, prayed, taught, healed, wept, sweated, bled, and died. That love will eternally embrace you. Christian, is it a small thing that God loves you? What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this that God would love us and call us his children? How can you, in light of that, we're going to hit this again, but in light of that idea, that reality, that truth, how could we not love myself? How can I not love myself rightly and then love other people? If God can love me like that, how can I not love myself rightly and then love other people really well. Jim Packer, J.I. Packer said this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. I... As I get a little older, man, I would really echo with this. I think younger, I would say, no, it's good theology. And I think now I'm getting to understand, no, if if you really want to understand what Christianity is about, if I want to gauge how well you understand Christianity, do you get how much God loves you? Do you get that? Do you get what a great love has been poured out on us? Man, we we probably should just stop and continue singing, to be honest. And just keep telling God how worthy he is, right? Because of the amazing love that he has poured out on us. You know, last week was, I think, sort of a tough week in some ways for a lot of people, right? We just went through the, what was it, 18th anniversary of 9-11 this last week. Um, In the middle of our dark world, 
and in the middle of our 9-11 observances, in the middle of pastors committing suicide, in the middle of sickness and breakups and breakdowns. Listen, it's not in a vacuum that God says this. It's not in a vacuum, the perfect little laboratory of church service that God says, I love you. It's in the middle of this dark, broken world. It's not like Jesus, God says, hey, I love you and I'm going to send Jesus. Go pretend like the world's not a broken place. Go act like that's not really, really happening in your world right now. No, it's in the middle of all that ugliness. It's into this dark world that he says, I love you. What a great love the Father has given us. I would say moreover, more importantly, more so, it is because of this darkness that we live in, not just in the world, but the darkness inside of me. The darkness inside of me, what a great love the Father has given. Not that he died on a cross in some tiny town in some unimportant country 2,000 years ago. He called me his son. He called me his child. Is it a small thing that God loves you like that? What a great, what universe does God love me like that in? This one, amen? We should be overwhelmed at the very beginning of our talk today to understand what kind of love God has given us and in the darkness that he has stepped into to love us like that. I live in that darkness, I live it in and uh, because and because I live there, because we live there in my internal darkness and the world's darkness, I can't live in wholeness and I can't have a right self-love and I can't live in confidence and joy. And it's into that world of sin that God says, "I love you," and He sends His Son to die for us, man. He lavishes His love on us. That NIV says it that way: that He has lavished His love on us. When God here, this is awesome. When God gives us His love, His heart leaps for joy. Isn't that great? When God loves us, when he gives us his love, his heart leaps for joy. He is thrilled to give you his love so that you can know him and be fulfilled in him. God doesn't just love, he lavishes us with love. Max Lucado said this, he said, God dispenses his goodness and love not with an eyedropper, but a fire hydrant. That guy should write some books, right? Your heart is a Dixie cup and his love is the Mediterranean Sea. You simply can't contain it all, so let it bubble over, spill out, pour forth, and enjoy the flood. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? That God would love us like that? There's a theory of self. Have you ever thought about that? That at some point or another you begin to understand that you're a person? That sounds weird, you know what I'm saying? But there's a point in your life where you understand I'm a person, I'm an individual, right? Uh, a, a theory of self, how do we understand who we are? And that at some point or another, that happens to us, right? As we develop as children in particular. But then, maybe we're working on that theory of self for a lot of our lives. Who am I, right? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? All that kind of stuff. But there's a theory of self called the looking glass self. It was originated by a guy named Cooley in the early 1900s, psychologist. His idea was this that you become what you think the most important people in your life think you are. So whatever you think the most important people in your life think about you, that's who you become. That's a really interesting idea, isn't it? Maybe he's not too far off the mark either. It's this looking glass. That as I look into a mirror, 
I'm seeing the reflection of myself that I think other people have of me. And as I look at that image long enough, I become like what those people think about me, what I think those people think about me. It's very interesting. So let's just kind of take that theory and apply it to John 3, verse 1. God loves you. He lavishes his love on you. How radically, how radically would your life change if you truly believed what the Bible says, the astounding things the Bible says to you about God's love? How would that change how you see yourself? What if you looked in the mirror and you saw what God sees? What great love the Father has for us. Brennan Manning, I don't agree with all his theology, but he tells a great story about an Irish priest who was on a walking tour of his parishes. He was pastor over several parishes, and he sees this old peasant man kneeling by the side of the road, and he's praying, and this priest is impressed, and he stops by the man, and he says, you must be very close to God. And the peasant man looks up from his prayers, and he thinks about a moment, and he smiles, and he says, yes, he's very fond of me. What if we really believed, really believed what God thinks about us? And we were so overwhelmed by his love. How could I possibly not like me? How could I possibly not love me? And then not want to give that love to other people? Behold what a great love the Father has bestowed on us, lavished on us. Chapter 3, verse 11 for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother, and for that reason did he slay him. For what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. God loves us, and because of that we have this healthier self-love. And then what, is, what does that mean about how we love other people? I see myself through God's love for me. It uh, changes my relationship with myself. Self-hatred isn't an option anymore. I love myself as the object of God's love, if nothing else. Changes my, my, my uh, opinion of myself, and I understand how God loves me a little bit better, but what about my love for other people? Love is, is an action that we do, and I want to just say this clearly to remove any confusion. Love is an action that we do that is independent of other people's actions. Scriptural, biblical love is something that we do, and it's independent of other people's actions. Now, that clashes with the idea of expressive individualism, which we talked about at the beginning. Those things can't coexist very well together. Love isn't dependent on what somebody else does or doesn't do. That means that Christian love is one-directional and doesn't have to be reciprocated. Christian love is one directional and it doesn't have to be reciprocated. And you're like, well, prove that, Sanders. It would be accurate to say that God has loved people who don't reciprocate that love. Right? God so loved what? The world. That he did what? Gave his only son. Does everybody go to heaven and love Jesus? Does God love people that don't love him back? What does Christian love mean? It means it's one directional. It's independent of other people's actions, and it doesn't have to be reciprocated. Now, that stinks, <laughs> because we want to love people that love us back, right? Matter of fact, it's often, we've talked about it before, it's often very transactional. 
Christian love won't put up with that. It won't tolerate that. Think about Jesus. Not only did he just love people like that, he loved people that didn't love him back. Seneca, who was a horrible human being, but a great philosopher in Rome in the early 60s, not, like literally 60s, not 1960s, <laughs> 60s, 0060, <laughs> 60, 60s in Rome. He said this, he said, the wise man, I say, even though he's self-sufficient, nevertheless desires friends if only for the purpose of practicing friendship. So the wise man, for Seneca, wants to have friends just to have friends in order that his noble qualities may not lie dormant. Not for the purpose that other people say so that someone may sit with you when you're ill or help you when you're in prison or in want. He says the wise man has friends that he can have someone whose sick bed he himself might sit beside the wise man has friends so that when someone is in prison in hostile hands, he himself may set that person free. We often look at friendship. We often look at love and relationships. This will get me. This will provide for me. Christian love is, I'm going to sit with you because you're sick and it's good and I'm your friend. You understand? It's one directional. How do we learn to love like that? It is counter-instinctual, right? It rubs us in the wrong way. We feel like we're getting robbed from, stolen from. I'm giving more than they're giving. I don't ever get back. Da, 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 da. We've all had this language in our mouths or in our heads at some point or another. How do we learn to love like this? I think just the same way you become good at, pra at anything, really any kind of craft, same way you do that is by practicing it. We become better at love by practicing acts of love because love does. Love isn't a warm, gooey feeling. Love does. How do I get better at loving people in a one-directional way, in a way that blesses them, that doesn't expect anything back? I do it. I practice it. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book, The Outliers, and what he found out about these people who are on the edges of culture, but they become excellent at what they do, they do something for 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours to become excellent at it. That's 1.3 years of your life. So what does that mean about love? You're like, dude, I've been doing this for 20 years and I don't think I'm very good at it yet, <laughs> right? We're gonna talk about that in just a second. But what if we set our goals on, I'm gonna practice this self-sacrificing, giving love that doesn't expect things back. I'm just gonna love people because God told me to and because it's good, right? And it brings out the best in me and it honors God and it reflects the love of Jesus. I'm gonna love people like that and I'm gonna do it till I'm really, really, really good at it. Another guy read Malcolm Gladwell's book and argues with him that that's not how you get good at stuff. <laughs> Tim Ferriss is his name. He wrote a 627-page book about it, okay? It's huge. He writes a book about how to become good. He says this. This is how you become good at something. You create a feedback loop. What's a feedback loop? You're asking, you're finding a way to hear back from somebody, is, am I any good at this? I, I did this. I tried this. Was that good? Is that speaking? Do you hear love when I do that? Are you seeing love? So you got to create some system where you're getting feedback from people about how you're trying to love them well and sacrificially like Jesus did. It's deliberate practice. Now, this may sound crazy, but maybe that means at the beginning of each day, you think about your day and the people you're going to run across, if you know their names or you know their situations, and you think on purpose, how can I love them like Jesus loved me? I know I'm going to run across Bob at work, and I don't even like Bob. How can I love Bob the way Jesus loved me? 
You're deliberate about it. You're on purpose about it. So it's not just doing something haphazardly, right? So if you want to become really good at basketball, you don't go out and play rugby. You play basketball, it's on purpose. It's intentional, right? Same thing could be said here. So you have this deliberate practice, feedback loop, direct play, then you become a teacher. Ooh, this is probably the best one. You become a teacher. So just start to ask yourself this question. My children, we have kiddos. My kids, what I'm doing here, if, somebody, if, if some young Christian came to me and said, hey, show me what it looks like to love other people. Is that not horrifying that somebody might ask you that? But if some young Christian came and said, show me what it looks like to love like Jesus loved, turn yourself into a teacher. Like, I'm going to show you, I'm going to teach this person what it looks like to love Jesus Christ. If you want to be really good at something, become a teacher about that thing. So how do I love like Jesus loved? Do it. Do it. Don't think you're going to read books about it. Don't think you're going to stay in here and by osmosis, somehow it's going to just creep and seep into your system. That's not the way it works. You get out and you love people the way Jesus loved people. And you practice it on purpose and you pray about it and you set your mind to it and you consistently say, God, not my will, but thy will be done. I will decrease so that you can increase. You consistently have that in your heart and set yourself out to love people the way Jesus did. God loves us like that. It's independent of anybody else's actions. It's something that we do on purpose, regardless of what comes back our way or doesn't come back our way. Verse 16, chapter 3. We know love by this. How do we know love? That he, God, Jesus, laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How do we know what love is? Jesus died for us, and we're supposed to love other people just like that. That's what love is. Verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods and see his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? How can you have stuff and see people that need stuff and you don't give it to them? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. It can be really tempting and easy to think about love and loving people with the idea of, I love everyone. I love humans, <laughs> you know? Um, but I love the idea of loving people. But I may not want to love that dad at the soccer game. You know that dad that I'm talking about? I may not want to love that waiter. I may not want to love that neighbor, but I love people. Scripture doesn't give us the option of loving the generalization of humanity and then not loving a person that God puts right in front of us. And you see that switch here. In the verses that we just read, there's a switch between plural, brethren, brothers, to the specific brother. So John doesn't even give us that opportunity to just love people and then not love a particular person. Jesus didn't love. God didn't love emotionally from a distance. Aren't you glad that God didn't sit in heaven and just shout at us, I love you, I love you, I love you. Hey, I love you. I feel a lot of love toward you. It's a good thing that I love you and I really, really love you. I sent you a note. Love you. Aren't you glad that's not how God loved us? God did not love emotionally, vaguely, generally, from a distance. He loved personally and up close. His love wasn't this vague feeling for the masses. It was a tangible love directed at particular people. He loved his mother, right? He loved his disciples. John's nickname was the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
He loved Zacchaeus, that little midget, right? He loved Zacchaeus. He loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It says specifically he loved them. One of my favorite passages is when the rich young ruler comes to him, and he's like, what must I do to have eternal life? You have to keep the commandments. I've done these things since I was a child. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him. This man who would reject him. He loves him. Gosh, y'all, he loved Judas. He loved particular people with names, not just the idea of love, particular specific people. So what we see from Jesus is what we understand when we, when we do that, when we know that love does. It requires us to take away, you got to write off your schedule, you have to write off your preferences, you have to set aside your opinions and your comforts in order to love people. How can we possibly adopt the values of expressive individualism and expect to know the depths of this kind of love. To love God because in its clearest, purest form, love restricts us from our likes and behaviors for the good of the other person. Do you understand that? I love that little sentence because I wrote it. So I'm going to say it again, okay? <laughs> the purest kind of love, purest kind of love restricts us. Do you understand that? You love your spouse, there's things you're not going to do because you love your spouse. Your love for that person restricts your behavior. You understand that? The purest kind of love means there's certain things I will not do, and I will pour everything into the things that I will do so that this love can be actualized, realized, understood, experienced by the person that I love for the good of the other person. The only way to love the way that Jesus did is to joyfully embrace self-sacrifice and the constraints that come with love that's the only way to love the way that jesus loved you can love without suffering amen all love doesn't involve suffering all love doesn't involve this horrible pain but we have to be prepared for when that might be required i would say this man some of you are young. We've got these young married people and engaged people and all that, and you're going to go, when do I know that I'm ready to get married? You probably don't, you know? You're just going to get married and make it happen, right? Make it work. Then you're going to say, when do I know that I'm ready to have kids? You're never ready to have kids. <laughs> That's the answer, okay? Never. It, you're, you're never going to be ready for it. But here's what I will tell you. As you grow up and you get a little older and you live life, what I want to tell you is if you go into every love relationship without preparing to lay yourself down for that person, you're never going to experience the fullness of love with that person. You have, to ha you have to be prepared to lay yourself down and to sacrifice yourself for a real love relationship to work and for it to last and for that person to know you love them. You've got to be ready to lay yourself down and potentially suffer for them. So you don't have to sacrifice in order to love well and suffer in order to love well, but you have to be prepared to gladly welcome suffering and sacrifice if it's required. That's when you know you're ready to love the way Jesus did. Not that you know every eventuality and every way you may suffer, but that you're prepared to say, yes, I will, if that's what love requires. Verse uh, 24, we're going to jump into actually chapter 4 also. The end of verse uh, chapter 3, verse 24, the one who keeps Jesus' commandments abides in him, and Jesus in him, we know this by that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. And then chapter 4, jump over to verse 19. 
We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he hasn't seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. It can be tempting, sometimes if we're not careful, especially in the world, the Western world we live in right now, to not understand like what a true mark of a Christian is. And I know I'm going to step on people's toes on both ends of the spectrum, so I'm kind of ready for your emails. It's joe at tsf-church.com. Okay. Jared would love to field those first, so feel free to write him. Here's what I would say, man. Here's the proof that you're a believer. First John won't let us off the hook here. Jesus won't let us off the hook here. Here's the proof that you're a believer. The proof that you're a believer is that the Holy Spirit lives in you and you love other people. That's it. Not an ecstatic experience, not a gift, not theological accuracy. That's the one that hurts me probably the most. The proof that you are a believer and the Holy Spirit dwells in you is that you love other people. Wow, does that change the game for anybody in this room? Because it does for me. How do you know that the Holy Spirit lives in you? How do you know the Holy Spirit's directing you? How do you know the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and changing your affections and your loves and your goals and your dreams? Do you love people? That's how you know. John's super clear about that. Multiple times in chapter 3 and 4, he says that overtly and very, very clearly. So it's not blessings or health or money or knowledge or worship. I love worship. Great. Do you love people? That is the mark. That's the test that John gives us here, and I think Jesus also gave us back when he was uh, speaking and preaching to us. We have to be prepared to love the way that Jesus loves, and the proof of that, the proof of that is that we have love for other people. Now, a lot of this, a lot of loving comes with a risk, doesn't it? Love is a risky thing. We put a lot on the line to love people like this. It has a high cost and potentially a high reward, but not necessarily, not here. So it's very possible that as you love people the way that Jesus loved, you're going to love them and never realize the effects of that love back to you, at least not here. Maybe in eternity, but maybe not then. That's not the point. The point is that I'm loving people the way Jesus loved them. High risk, high reward. Maybe the way for us to look at that, to take away some of the scariness of loving people, would be to, instead of risk-reward, because it's bad, it's transactional, so let's take that away a little bit, and maybe it's an investment. Maybe if I looked at my love for other people as an investment, maybe that would help me love a little easier. I'm investing in this person. What they choose to do with it's up to them. I can't make them, right, take that love and love somebody else or love Jesus, but I can invest love in them. And maybe that changes it a little bit. We talked about this two years ago, I think when we did uh, Psalms, actually. But it is this idea of planting and nourishing trees under which you're not going to sit. It is that idea. I will invest love in these people, in this place, in this person. I may not ever actualize that love here, but sooner or later that love's going to be played out somewhere. I'm going to trust the Lord for that. So I can think of, and Minnie's going to know some of these names. I'm going to throw them out. I'm going to say them by name because I think it deserves it. The Lord deserves some praise. I think about people who we've loved well, and I'm not pumping us up, but the Lord's given us opportunity to do that. And I don't sit under their shade trees, but they've sprouted some pretty cool shade trees. 
Alan Michael, Stephen Cox, Chris Blanton, Amanda Michael, Nikki Salazar, whose name's Ruth now, Becky Johnson, Carol Holmes, Nicole, Adele, James. These are kids and teenagers and adults now who have their own children who we loved, and I'm not sitting under what God's done in their lives. It's been 25 years, 30 years in some cases since I've been around them. But as I've kept up with them, I see they are loving really well. Really, really well. I can maybe list a, smart, a shorter list of some kids and adults and people that we love well, and they've dropped off. They're not in anymore, right? I don't get to choose what happens with the love that I plant in other people. I just invest it. Amen? When you love like Jesus, you just give love. You just give love. And you invest in them, and you hope the tree Trust in the Lord, pray and ask Him to let those things take root. So we found out, like, what is love? The love that God has for us is incredible. Because of that, we love ourselves really well. We've talked a lot about loving other people. I read this this week, and I want to share it. Somebody said this, that this invisible love of God needs an incarnation. I love that idea. I can't see God's love, but people can see me. And as I love the way Jesus did, that love of God gets a body. It's incarnated in me and through me. So think of it that way as you go and as you love this week. So how can I evaluate my love? So if John lays it on thick and I've laid it on pretty thick today. How do I know? Like, am I any good at this? Do I love people well? So here's what I would, I'm just for these last 10 minutes and I'm, I'm gonna do what I do with our Sanctus kids for a second. I need everybody to look up here. <laughs> can we do that? Your phones are here. Fantasy football starts in 30 minutes. I get it. Look up here. We're just, all right? Just for a few minutes, I just want your attention here at the end because I think this is where the rubber hits the road. How do you know if you love well? Shouldn't you be asking yourself by, by now at the end of this message that question? How can I know, Pastor? Do I love people well or not? I think there are some tangible ways for us to kind of measure this, okay? Now, the first one, some of you are going to go, ooh, I hate this one. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it in our context, not every context, this context. We love people really well here as an organization. Like, organizationally, we do this really well. Now, you may go, well, you didn't love me. To okay, I get it. We don't, we don't always ace the test. Generally speaking, we're really good at this. Can I get an amen from anybody who's just been, you've been loved well here? We love people pretty well here, okay? And organizationally, we do this really well. Let me just shed some light on you for the last seven days, some of the things that have happened here and how we've loved on people. If you would just give me a, a second. Um, this last week on Wednesday night, we had 40 of your students up here with 8 to 10 of their volunteers. We had 10 other people in another class with 4 other kids in that class being taken care of. 16 women at that event, at another event. We had Bible studies on Tuesday night, Tuesday morning. Uh, men were here on Wednesday night. We had 40 women here yesterday for another event. That was the seven days. We're not doing stuff just to keep you busy. We want to love people really well. And we do, this is, that's just this week right? That's also just the things that happened organizationally. That doesn't count all the things that I could spend the next 20 minutes telling you about that happened through our church where we love people well. There's stuff that goes on behind the scenes all the time, and it's awesome because I get an email or a phone call, and somebody's like, hey, we're doing such and such for so-and-so, and I'm like, that's a great idea. How can we help you with that, you know? Let's love each other well. That happens all the time, here at this church. And I can't speak for every church, but it does happen here. We've also agreed as a church to provide meals for a grieving family. 
for the Martinez family. And I think it's in your worship guide again. If you haven't signed up for that, sign up for it. There's no excuse for this. There's plenty of us. It's about 40 meals between now and the end of the year. Gift cards, whatever you want to do. Um, there's a, a sign up or a meal train uh, website in the worship guide. We're going to do that really well in addition to some other ways we're going to help their family. Um, we help some people with get some counseling for their family members this week. Uh, we're preparing and having meetings for our Christmas with our Carter's kids, which is coming up in December. Um, we're already having plans. We're going to love them well. Listen, we love people really well here. So my question for you is, and I, this, it all comes kind of down to this in some way or another for us sometimes, we can't, do any, we can't even turn the lights on or the AC on unless you give, right? So one of the ways you can say, well, I can't be there all week. I have a real job. I don't get to play church all week, Pastor Joe, like you do. So <laughs> you, you may be saying, I can't do all that. What can I do? I'm just going to be real clear. You can give. That, that facilitates these kinds of ministry, and there's really no way around that. We're not hurting. I'm not, this isn't me complaining or anything else. But you can kind of measure your life and say, how well do I love? And I'm going to ask you, well, how well do you give? Are you giving? Are you facilitating ministry that allows us as a church body to love and maybe even love in your stead, be your ambassadors of love when you're not here? That's one way that you can measure how you're loving. We're here every week doing these things. I will tell you this, and this is a quick snippet. We are on the cusp within a few months of probably talking about our future location and where we're going to be for a long time. Now, that might be here, but it may not be here. Um, we're, talk we're having several discussions right now, and I just want to tell you, for us to do that, we're going to have to give. There's no way around it. We've been faithful to give to get us here, and we're going to be faithful as we go. We're going to move now, so we're 12 years old. We're going to move from being a child church to being a teenager church. A little awkward, a little weird, right? And we're going to move our way into being a student church, but that's going to mean we got to have a place that's, that's ours. We lease this place, and this isn't ours yet, okay? Maybe this, maybe something else. Give. It's gonna, that's what it's going to take for us to kind of get there. And pray. God dropped a couple of things this week on us that are pretty crazy, um, and we don't know what he's going to do. Pray and give. How are you doing there? Measure of your love. Who are you telling? We started at the beginning of this. I'm in tears. I, I hope you were at least had some chill bumps or something. How great the Father's love. What kind of love is this? Who have you told about that this week? Some of us are so bummed out about our future or our health or our finances or our kids or our spouse or whatever. We lose sight of God loves you with this ridiculous love, crazy love, out of space love, right? Where does, this, where does that come from? Who have you told about that this week? How are you doing with loving other people? Isn't that the most loving thing you can do is tell them about God's love for them? Who are you telling? Who are you forgiving and welcoming and reaching out to? Forgiveness might be the biggest mark that we may have. We're, we're all jerks. <laughs> we're all insulting, hurtful people. Who are you forgiving this week? Who are you reaching out to this week? Who are you saying, man, I am so sorry that I have done da, da, da. Let's live together rightly. How can I be right with you? Because you've hurt them, offended them, whatever. Those are some of the measures you can have. Last thing I would say is this. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, Pastor Joe, I'm so just loved out. <laughs> I can't love anymore. I've been hurt. I've been burned. I'm tired. I just don't feel like I can love anymore. And, and by the way, the people in my life are really, really hard to love. Anybody got, don't raise your hand. <laughs> we have people in our lives that are hard to love, right? 
I heard this from another pastor. Is there a little bag, maybe by your fit, maybe? Have one of the kids bring that up. A little black bag, Jordan, by you. Right there. Good job, Paige. All right. So another pastor said this one. I think it's a great way to look at it. What great love the Father's given you. Chapter 3, verse 1. That's God giving you like $1,000 of love. God dropped $1,000 of love on you today. Amen? That's awesome. 1000 bucks. that's a lot of money. $1,000 of love. You have people in your life, and Scripture says, love other people the way God's loved you. Lay your life down the way Jesus did for you. And you're like, yes, I want to give this $1,000 to somebody and just bless them with God's love. Amen. But I think God's economy is more like this. Here's your $1,000 of love. I want you to go to the bank, and I want you to trade it in for quarters. I want you to get $1,000 of quarters. And as you go through your life, I want you to be quiet when you'd rather talk. When you'd rather win an argument, I want you just to be quiet. Love somebody. When somebody's hurting and they need prayer, they don't need answers, just love somebody. Give them a quarter, right? Somebody needs a meal, a food, companionship, coffee. Can you do that? Just love somebody with a quarter. Somebody's lonely, can you just be their friend? $1,000. Not really. Didn't have that many quarters. Can you do that? Maybe it's exhausting to think about giving somebody $1,000 worth of love. Can you give them a quarter? Just a little bit of love? Just something? And the whole time, the whole time you're tapped into chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what a great love God has given me. And you get filled up again and you're able to go give another quarter to somebody. Can we do that? What great love God's given us. How easy it might be to love somebody else. Part of the solution to our self-centered world and our self-centered worldview that so many of us have part of the solution is, is that we would agree just to be the one to love. Can You just have to kind of leave this room today and go, I'm going to be the one to love. I'm going to be the one. I'm not going to wait for them. Love is one directional. Love doesn't have to be reciprocated. It's independent of that person's actions. I'll be the one to love. Part of breaking out of this, the system of self-centeredness in our culture you just agree, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one to fight for love. I'm going to be the one for fighting for real relationships. I'm going to be the one to serve. I'm going to be the one with, to serve and love without bitterness and pride. There's a kicker too, right? You can love and give love away really well, but you're ticked off because nobody's giving you any quarters. <laughs> right? You got to love without bitterness and you got to love without pride. I am so good because I love well. Tamp that down a little bit, buddy. Right? You love because God loved you. Amen? Not because you're that great. Let's go ahead and close our eyes. Bow your heads. You've got so much to chew on this morning. So much to think about. Man, I think we should have some kind of conviction. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave this little pouch up here. And if you need a little reminder before you leave today about loving people, just come grab a quarter. Just come grab a quarter this week and just let God remind me to give a little bit of love to somebody this week. Okay? Maybe sometime that little token will be your reminder to do that. So we've got so much to think about. I want to drill down even closer to home. Here's what this means, guys. Husbands, 
wives, children, before you walk out of this room today, you need to think about your family and you need to ask, have I loved the way that I've been loved? Have I loved these people in my life the way that God has loved me? Because this is where, this proving ground is home. A proving ground is your house. Have I loved people in my family the way that Jesus has loved me? How can I give a quarter of love to my mom today? How can I give a quarter of love to my dad? Maybe I want to give them a dollar or two dollars, right? How do I give them some bit of this love that God's given me? So some of you, your conviction starts at home. Just be right with the Lord there. Maybe get right with that person before you leave here today. Some of you need to start with this. Wow, <laughs> what an amazing love God has for me. I don't know it. I need, to, I need God's love to fill my heart right now. I don't know Jesus like that. I don't know God like that. Gosh, listen, I want to tell you, God loves you more than you can imagine. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. Why? Because you're a sinner and you're separated from him. And he knows the very best thing in, in the universe for you is for you to be his child. He loves you. He loves you. Man, just talk to him about that. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking my sins away. Thank you for your love. Give me that. I want that love in my heart. Save me from my sins so I can know you like that. And then, Christians, you can pray this. We'll be done. Give me a heart of love because I don't think you can just do this. God, give me a heart of love. I want to love people with your heart. Give me your heart so that I can love people the way you love people. And then the second thing is, that's the big idea, but the second one is, help me be loving. That's specific. Show me a specific way, God, that I can love somebody. Father, we are overwhelmed at your love, and I could have done that for an hour, God. You're so good, and you're so loving. Thank you. I pray we never, ever get over being just overwhelmed at your love. And then, God, I pray that we walk out of here different, changed, radically renewed people, and we're, we're seeking tiny ways and big ways to give your love to people all the time. God, love does. It doesn't just say love does. Use us to love other people, to show your love to them. The invisible love of God needs an incarnation. God, make the Sanctuary Fellowship the incarnation of your love. Amen.